Well, hello there, Terrible Warriors. Welcome back to another episode. And we're going to try something a little bit different today. We're going to go behind the screens. What? Is this another pun? Justin, come on. Why are you with all the puns? I was thinking it might be fun to take a bit of a break from our Session Zeros and our Podcast Spotlight and talk a little bit about the games that I have been running and how I've been running them and help uh, pull back the curtain a little bit if you're running games and maybe can glean a little bit of something from my aimless ramblings. Uh, I am not alone at this table today. I am joined once again by Sean Horbachuk. Welcome back. Hello, hello. It's good to be back. It's wonderful to have you back here. I have I have pulled you away as you're uh, grabbing music to spin up and grabbed you on an Easter weekend here to to try out this new format. But uh, we last had you on on Symbarum, and and we're going to have you back on, I think to record our actual play game soon the next weekend very excited time of for recording. that yeah how have, how have you how have you been sean since the last time we we crossed paths <laughs> quite well actually it's been a great gaming month for me been, oh, i've got a weekly uh, twilight imperium game going which is an accomplishment so yeah, i haven't played twilight <laughs> imperium enjoying that i know that's the game that if you had friends and you would go to the cottage you might get it done by the end of the weekend that's that's a hard maybe. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very it's a it's a mammoth of a game. Yeah, it's uh it's a fanta- it's basically a 4X game but as a board game and done very very well. Yeah, I I feel one one of these days I I I need to play it, but it's one of those like because of the commitment of time and resources, it just makes it very daunting. More daunting than even booking a tabletop game. I will say you can knock it you can knock it out in about eight hours if you've got four players uh, and using Tabletop Simulator. It's oh, doable. Yeah, yeah. But just it's... eight hours. Just just an entire yeah, just day eight hours. from like wake up to sleep. <laughs> yeah, we, we never play an all-in-one go. We usually do four hours and cut and then four hours. Yeah, that's my that's my problem. And the same reason why I haven't been doing any long-form campaigns on the podcast is I uh, I can't get consistently the same group of people around the same table at the same time i can get a number of recurring characters who are willing to return back but uh i can't uh have them all like all right we're gonna do this every sunday like it's just uh uh that that was possible in college when we were all in the same dorm room or in high school when we were all in the same classes and we all had the same schedules but in now in this unending panera bread uh it's um (laughs) Uh, we're we're all we're all in different universes, and so it's it's really hard to to get us all to be available at the same time at the same place. Yeah, and and running a game like that's like trying to run a TV show with the cast changing every week. Like you could just you can't really. So that's kind of fun, and, and it works in a little bit on what I'm talking about. Is today on behind the screens, the inaugural behind the screens episode podcast idea here on Turbo Warriors is uh, I was going to talk about a game I ran at the Stormcrow Manor in the before times called Sweetwater Bank, and it was a challenge that I was given where I was hired to run games at a restaurant and you would come and you would book a table and you would have your meal and and you would have four hours with a game master to run you through a game of Dungeons and Dragons. And it was it was interesting for me because one, as you know through the podcast, I don't really do a lot of Dungeons and Dragons, uh, at least I didn't before Stormcrow. And uh, it was something where I, I played Dungeons and Dragons, but because of the podcast, I'd very much moved away from it and was exploring all these other indie games. And so 
I was returning to Dungeons and Dragons and I was having to write a game where I wouldn't have communication with the players in advance because they'd be booking the table through the restaurant and I would just be showing up at the assigned time like the hired mariachi band that was going to play at your restaurant. And so and so I was hired to do this. And so I, I needed to come up with a game for players I wasn't going to meet in advance, for a table I wasn't going to be able to prep for in advance. I might be in a different room around the restaurant each time. So it needed to be kind of mobile. I needed to have it packed and ready because I might get a call while I was at work at noon to ask if I could come in that evening. And I would then say yes, because I would take the money. And uh, and then it had to be reliable enough to be able to run in four hours in a noisy environment with people who may have never played Dungeons and Dragons before, as well as be interesting for those who have played before and maybe have been coming together with a group and they've been playing the same game for the last 30 years and they're coming in with all these expectations. So, whoa, right? That's a lot. And I've also got my own style. Like the way I run Dungeons and Dragons is very much theater of the mind. I'm not very combat heavy. I don't care much for the simulation aspects of D&D. So uh, I, I play more story games. And so that was going to be my way. And at the very least, that was going to play to the strengths of the loud restaurant environment of the don't worry about it. You have the item you need. And so I wasn't going to be tracking ammunition and rations and all that kind of crap. It was just going to uh, uh, facilitate the story that was going to go. And I was also going to have pre-generated characters, but also needed to write a story that would allow them to bring their own characters if they wanted to. Um, and, and then I would just tell them like level five, and then they would just make a level five character. So that would work. So those are the challenges that I had to check off. And I feel like I, I did it. Uh, and I've run Sweetwater Bank uh, dozens of times now. And every single time I run it, it changes a little bit differently. So this is not the version that it first was. Uh, it's the version I've most recently run through virtual games in the past year. And so if you're thinking of hiring me as a DM for hire, you can do that at justineacock.com. Maybe stop this podcast and come back next week to whatever we're going to do next because I'm going to spoil the game I'm going to run for you if you want to hire me to do specifically Dungeons and Dragons. I love doing Sweetwater Bank, and if you if you haven't done that with me, this is going to tell you everything that's going to happen, so it's going to ruin that experience for you, and then I'm going to have to come up with an entirely new perfect game for you. So that that that's my own caveat is I'm going to reveal all the secrets of this of this module uh, for for Sean and for for you who's listening. And then we're going to work through the scenario. I'm going to describe what happens, going to tell a little story, and then go through my decision-making on why did I put this there. Because a lot of these came from games we ran on Terrible Warriors uh, that over almost 10 years of running the podcast, and certainly longer as a GM, I've gotten very good at telling four-hour story arcs uh, through the nature of the podcast format. So it worked really well at, at the restaurant. And so that's the intention with this behind the screens episode so come along with me are we all on board sean are we ready to travel into the theater of my mind oh heck yeah let's get this train started so the setup for sweetwater bank is uh, there is a tavern run by a dwarf named terry and for the longest time terry's tavern was not anything of any special note. It was just a tavern on the crossroads uh, off by a river in the middle of the woods that uh, travelers could stop by, have a rest, and continue on. It wasn't anything. And then Terry started selling this mead, 
a particular brew of his own invention from the banks of Sweetwater. And this Sweetwater mead started attracting attention because those who drank it immediately uh, started raving about how uh, amazing it was. It was the greatest drink you'd ever have. It had healing properties. It would make you youthful again. But more concerning, people who start drinking the mead support the business so much that they move to Sweetwater and they stay there to help Terry build up this business to stay close to the drink. And, and mysteriously, any attempts to sell the recipe or for tr- like a trade merchant's guild to get a franchise rights or, or to export it to other towns or to get barrels to serve at the king's wedding, they all get rebuffed. If you want to drink the drink, you got to come to Terry's Tavern. And that's the only rule. So now people are traveling from far and wide to Terry's Tavern to drink this drink. And some who travel there never want to leave. And so that has gotten the attention of the Adventurers Guild, that has gotten the attention of merchant alliances, of nearby townships. So there's lots of different reasons where I can ask you why you are interested in this mystery. Maybe you want to get the recipe. Maybe you want to get a trade rate. Maybe you want to steal the drink. Maybe you just want to go and have a party and you're coming off of a success or a failure from a previous adventure. And this just seems like a nice place for a port of call to 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 uh, party up and, and have this, this really cool, popular drink. So whatever your reason for heading to Sweetwater, uh, you start walking down the road towards the village and off in the distance you can hear the river moving through the trees and I always set it around early spring so the trees are are blooming uh, the, the the weather is warm and clear there's no hint of danger uh, you can hear the river rushing from the melt from the from the winter so the river is at a, a high water level and it's moving quite rapidly it's a, a wide enough river that you could ford it but you would have to swim or or the water would get right up to your neck at points um and so it's it's a it's a big enough river not big enough for boats but enough to be you know a a hazard if you get up to it but the you've just been told if you follow the trail that follows the river you will eventually arrive at the town of sweetwater bank the town that did not exist too long ago and is now built up entirely around this tavern and as you reach the tree line of where the field is, you hear a boom off in the distance and a smoke rising from the rooftops of the village that you see as you come out of the trees. And if you take a moment to look around the fields around you, these crops have not been tended. They are all withered and old and covered in weeds. Uh, they're not hops and barleys. They're old like maize or corn that has just been grown and left to um, left to rot or left to just grow old. No one's tending these fields. So that's, that was you get, if you get like a, a good investigative check. But more likely, you are more interested in the big explosion, the boom and the rising clouds coming from the town of Sweetwater. If you rush through into the town. You arrive in a town square. Uh, around you are resident buildings. Everything's fresh. Uh, the, the the lumber, the, the, the buildings. You've been told uh, in the setup or by a merchant group that you've passed by on the road that 
the town of Sweetwater, because of the sales, the sales happening through this meat, have gotten very rich. And so they're buying things from all these other places, linens, lumber, uh, indoor toilets. They're bringing things from all these other places and luxuries into Sweetwater. They're not chopping their own trees down. They're not uh, uh, making their own linen. They're bringing all of these luxury goods into town because they're all swimming in this money that this uh, this tavern is making. And so you see all these new buildings that have been built up, all these little residences, and people are poking their heads out because of the explosion. And there's a crowd that has gathered in the center of, of town. And the center of town is there's a well right in the center. And you can see the oldest building, the tavern. But right next to it, another building has completely collapsed in. And that's where the crowd has gathered around. And as you wake your way through the crowd, you might see a big wooden club leaning against the well and then the crowd will part the rest of the way and you'll be face to face with the feet of a hill giant sticking out of a building that it has fallen into and that's where all the smoke is rising out of there's a group of elders that are huddling and they don't know what to do they see you and they see a group of adventurers and some of them are like oh thank goodness the adventurers are here you can go help us we need to deal with this giant we we don't know what's happened uh and if you ask some questions they'll tell you it it came stumbling in through the trees from the river uh, it pushed into a building and they point over across the, uh, the the square you can see one of the buildings is like collapsed in on the second floor uh, uh as 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 it moved through and, it, and the roof came down it it it, it crawled in through the town square it dropped the club it went to stand up and then passed out and collapsed into the storehouse next to the tavern they don't know if it's dead. They don't know if it's unconscious. They're all afraid to do anything because if it wakes up, it'll destroy the whole town. Then there's other groups in the elder groups are like blaming you for doing this. They are saying it's the adventurers. You were probably out hunting it. You lured it into town, didn't you? This is all Terry's fault. The the attention from the meat. It's bringing in all this unwanted attention. Uh, you should just get out of here. We don't want your kind helping us out. Just take your troubles and take them far away. This is a nice, peaceful town. So there's already a little bit of tension. And then as that's all happening, the doors finally kick out of the tavern and a small dwarf with a big tavern apron and you know uh, a, a long red beard all braided up just starts barking orders what's everyone standing around lollygagging uh, they, 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 this, this is an emergency and he points and he just starts telling things about like grab the big rope gotta drag that thing out there make sure everything's okay and it just uh, and, and terry's plan as we now meet this angry tavern keeper dwarf is to just drag the giant out to the river and drown it in the water like a cat and if you try to get in Terry's face, I love saying things like, I'm the victim here. I'm a small business owner. And, and, uh, uh, and just being all up in your face, blaming you for the troubles and you're going to fix this. And he's not concerned about the town. He's not concerned about the people. He's not concerned about the giant. He's concerned about his wares. His storehouse is the thing that this giant has fallen into, and he needs to make sure that his inventory hasn't been damaged, because that's where all the mead is. And if you want some of that mead, I know, no, I know what you're here for. I know what you're here for. Well, the tavern's closed until this is dealt with. All of my supply is in that building. So if you want some of that, you're going to have to get to work for it, uh, just like everyone else in this town. And he just starts barking like he's the town mayor and, and he knows he's the most important thing around here and at that point 
if you don't do anything, the town is going to put some ropes around the ankles. They're going to follow what Terry is doing. They're going to wake up the giant. And the giant is unconscious. And as it wakes up, you see it's got uh, like a purple viscous goo on its left hand and similarly smeared across its face like it grabbed a bunch of berries and it shoved it into its face and it looks confused its eyes are looking all over the place Uh, it doesn't it's reaching out for something it's saying masher masher a lot and if anyone speaks giant you'll understand it's asking for its club and if anyone succeeds at a nature check or survival check or any kind of lore history to understand like a monster manual entry on this creature i like to add in a little extra detail that in this region hill giants live solitary lives but right when they leave their parent for the first time to go live alone forever in the hills they take a tree and fashion it into a wooden club and that club they are paired with for life that is their that is their best friend it is their blanket It is their tool it is their extension of their body their their wooden club is important to them so that could be used for a number of things maybe you've got a levitation spell and you can hang it in front and you can lure the giant out of town maybe you pick it up and you just run with it uh maybe you just give it to the giant and see what happens he'll start smashing the town up is what will happen um but he's looking for masher and he can't find it if you do a check on the purple stuff it's uh there's 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 stains of it around town on the building he pressed into and certainly you can get some samples off of him uh don't eat it yourself player because if you do did you ever watch dr strange with all that psychedelic kaleidoscope special effects that's going to happen to you and you're just going to start screaming as you fall through the reality everyone else is just going to see you standing in place some highly psychoactive properties are in this mixture and this giant is tripping balls so There is no answer about this combat. The question is, what do you do with a sleeping giant? And we're going to find that out. And we're probably going to spend about an hour just letting you run around, not being able to do anything. You might be able to kill it, but I'm hoping to set up this giant to be so sympathetic that you're going to feel really bad if you do. And so uh, whether you lure it away, whether you kill it, whether you throw it into the river or any number of things that can get it out of town is just an obstacle. As soon as the giant gets away from the storehouse, it reveals a set of stairs leading underground. And that's the moment where Terry is just going to disappear, the first moment. So if you stick with combat, Terry's going to be alone. You're not going to know what's going down in the basement. But if anyone follows down into the basement, particularly those who have no interest in dealing with the giant giant, uh, they'll head down and they'll find Terry standing underground by a hole in the soft dirt floor. And he's on his knees and he's crying. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. They've taken it. And once you either adjust to the darkness or you can see in the darkness or you add some light yourself, you'll see that everything in this underground storehouse, this cellar underneath the big building, has been smashed and broken. All the kegs have been uncorked. All the bottles have been broken. The ground is sticky and wet with alcohol. Everything in here has been destroyed. And in the center of the room, where a number of pipes are coming into the ceiling, it looks like they've been torn away. And there's a sinkhole down into the ground, lowered down into a pit. And if you ask Terry through his sobs, he'll tell you this is where his fermentation tank was. This is where the mead was. This was everything. He spent so long putting it together. It, it holds, it's everything. Without it, there's no mead. There's no business. The town will tear him apart. And he's starting to panic. 
He needs this. You don't understand how important it is. You have to get it back. You don't know what they've done, what, what has happened. He's been robbed. This giant attack was a distraction from a heist. That's what's really going on is there's a heist going on. Once you deal with the giant or don't, and you head down to Terry and you learn what's happening, you descend down into the pit, into the caves. Down in the pit, everything is different than up in Sweetwater. You're now down doing a nice little dungeon crawl moment. There's uh, lots of little tools and rope and little pickaxes and uh, uh, looks like little mining lanterns that have been set up around. It's all very shoddily built. It's not like a nice craftsmanship. It's been done very quickly. And there's the smell of black powder that was used to blow out the ceiling of this cave that brought down the fermentation tank and then it's been dragged away and you can see the scratches and the drag marks in this and you can hear it echoing down through the caves if depending how fast you get down here i might have you seeing the light of lanterns or you might just see the scrape marks uh because this is all happening like a cuckoo clock happening all quote in real time so if you if you deal with the giant very swiftly i'll let you see a little bit more if you take a lot more time remember i got to get this done in four hours so things are going to happen regardless of your actions once you travel through the the dug dirt of this uh, hastily built underground tunnel i like think like um uh what's his name sean the 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 drug cartel dude who snuck out of like twice oh, el chapo yeah the el chapo <laughs> tunnels these are like el chapo tunnels they're very crudely quickly built uh underground tunnels like for smuggling and once you get out and all i'm also yeah there's also small little uh halfling sized footprints all over the ground and so people are going like yeah halflings or yeah goblins and they're all getting excited about what this is really going on there's like a crew of thieves that have stolen terry's tank and uh once you get into the cave, the cave connects to the well in the center of town and then continues in the direction of the river on the edge of Sweetwater. And once you uh, and, and the cave is continuing down deeper as you go. So once it curves around a bit as you sneak around, you'll come across a group of a dozen goblins. They're being led by a boss of the goblins. You know he's the boss because he's got the tallest hat. He's wearing chain mail that is clearly for a, a creature uh, size larger than him, taken from maybe a human. And uh, so the chain mail goes past his knees like a skirt and he's got like a long scimitar and he's using the flat end to smack the back ends of the other goblins to keep them going. And if you can speak goblin, you'll understand he's going like, come on, off we go. We've got to meet them. We've got to head like that's gonna keep them distracted up there, but only for so long. We gotta get and meet up with our with our benefactors. And if you don't speak goblin, you're gonna hear blah 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 blah. And I like this boss uh recently, the most recent change with with them is they speak common, but only merchant buzzwords. So they'll be able to understand what you're saying, but they'll only be able to speak back if you don't speak Goblin with things like customer first excellence or your delivery guaranteed and, and things like that. So just co up with like uh, you look through like Amazon free delivery buzzwords or, 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 or things like that. And just write down like dozens and dozens or, or run them off the top of your head. I love playing play this character that way because uh, he, uh, he he's a bandit who, who, who sneaks around markets. So that's the only common he's picked up is the same stuff like two for one sale two for one sale buy one get one free and <laughs> bogo bogo <laughs> so maybe that's his name now his name is bogo and uh <laughs> and so he uh uh, he he's smacking the other goblins around who are all wearing little mining hats with little candles in them and you know if you got the right players they might go oh at that moment and they definitely want to 
uh, recruit these goblins and not kill them because I it is important to me that every single moment in this story has an option that does not involve combat and death. If you can, you can save the giant. If you can, you can recruit the goblins. And if you can, you can outsmart the final showdown that is coming up. They are dragging this fermentation tank through the cave. At the moment you come up with them, they are descending into the cave, and they're doing it quite comically. If you attack them and break the ropes, the tank will roll like a steamroller down the cave, boom, 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 down the tunnel, crushing the goblins that are on the other side, pushing this thing up like they're piano movers. And so... Uh, so, so you've got a little bit of that. If you don't want the tank rolling away from you, that's another whole other challenge going for you. So at this point we break out into combat and, uh, or, or, or challenge or a social engagement or any number of things that are happening. Uh, but the end result is hopefully you have lost control of the tank and it has bounded away from you, or you've recruited the goblins and you're continuing to move the tank to its set off point. If you stop the goblins and you're moving the tank back, the final showdown will happen right here at this part of the cave as the people that are waiting at the end of the tunnel are going to head up closer to the surface, see what's going on. So this is, it gets a little bit harder at the end because at this point we're dealing with butterfly effect moments where any number of things could be going on. But what's really happening is the goblins are working for a group of gray dwarves who have hired them to steal the tank, not because they are interested at all in the need, but they are interested in what is inside the tank. Unbeknownst to the players, Terry found a stone deep underground that he stole from a group of Derigar. This stone uh, enthralls whoever looks at it. And Terry, bringing it back to the surface, has put it into a tank and has turned his drink into a love potion that makes you fall in love with the love potion. And that's what the mead is. It isn't mead. It just tastes like that because that's what they've been primed to think it will be. It's just dirty river water that has been given uh, an enchanting spell that makes you fall in love with dirty river water. And so it's on one hand kind of harmless, but on the other hand, it's obviously causing a lot of harm because there's this whole town now that has become addicted to this like cocaine drink. So this is what Terry is panicked about is inside the tank rolling around as the goblins are dragging this thing is a stone inside of the tank, inside of the liquid. If the tank gets broken at any point during the goblin fight, red light, like energized red light is going to start coming out of inside the tank. The first moment a player looks at the stone, the minute they make eye contact with it, and that's what's really important, eye contact, you get to have a lot more fun with your game now. Your job as the GM is to tell the player exactly what they want to hear for their character that is everything they've ever wanted. Maybe it's a shot of home. Maybe it's a shot of power. Maybe it's the gods returning. Maybe it's unlimited anything, 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 anything. You have been asking them questions throughout this entire last two or three hours, and you've been learning stuff that you are now going to use against them, and it's going to be in the seductive voice of like the one ring going, I can show you everything you want. All you have to do is save me from this iron prison. This stone is alive and it is pleading for help and it wants you to be its rescuer. And it's another character in this story. And this stone 
is going to seduce you. And you are going to have to succeed at a charisma check of 15 in order to be able to break away and close your eyes and not look at it. If it is taken out of the tank, every single person in the room, including the goblins, must now succeed that same check or they will just stare at the stone and be compl- and they will just lose their turn staring at this. And during that time, that stone will speak to them and tell them exactly what they want to hear. You just get to play with their minds as that's going on. It's entirely possible that the stone will not be revealed until the final showdown, or it's entirely possible that it will be revealed during the final showdown, and during this time, the final boss will show up. So I'm dealing with a whole lot of different uh, reveals that are all happening at once as we're getting close to our four-hour time limit. The final showdown room at the end of the tunnel, regardless of how you get there, uh, involves a group of gray dwarves riding on the back of hairy spiders, and because uh, that's what Derigar do, apparently, is they ride these giant hairy tarantulas called steeders. And there is in the center a cleric of the flame, a, a gray dwarf that you can find just in the monster manual that I just got through D&D Beyond. Uh, but I have him specifically as this leader of this cult of the Gazer Stone. Bring me the Gazer Stone. And I sometimes pronounce it to make it sound like geezer, but he's saying gazer. And so he, uh, he, he wants the Gazer Stone uh, taken out of the tank and he'll either blast it out with with uh, with like a magic uh, 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 ray uh, from his stone staff that's shaped like gnarling roots that are missing a, 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 a stone that would be held at the top in the clawed hand at the top of his staff but there's licking fire moving all around his body and he'll blast the, 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 the tank to pieces and then he'll reach in and take the stone himself and he's somewhat immune to the effects of the stone he goes yes the gaze and then he'll wrap it up into his cloak and he'll take it off his goal is to take this stone and disappear into the underdark he doesn't care about anything else he has hired these goblins to steal this stone to recover the stone and take it off with him the steeders and the two bodyguard dwarves their job is to keep that cleric alive and that's it and so they can grab uh, enemies they can turn invisible they can grow large they can climb around on the rooftops they will attack the humans they will attack the goblin or the, the adventurers they might not all be human they attack the player characters as well as the goblins if the goblins have teamed up with the player characters the cleric will cast enthrall on them with the stone using the lessons he's learned from the gazer stone and all of their eyes will flash red and they will now turn hostile unless you are able to cast friendship or break the spell or any number of things they're going to turn on you and that's going to be heartbreaking if you fall in love with the goblins which i really hope you have and so there's this whole thing going on there with that it might turn into this huge big battle royale it might be a very quick battle where he starts pontificating and we're getting close to the four hour mark and and you just kill him in a spot either way hopefully at the very end of these four hours you will be left knowing what terry has done you will have learned the truth of the Sweetwater Mead. You will have learned about the Gazer Stone. And you will have learned about what this thing is, that it's, teach, it's, it's seducing you and trying to give you all this power. And the minute you can wrap it up in cloth, it, it goes silent. It's just eye contact. That's all it is. But it starts talking, especially if you've got more magical characters or religious characters like clerics in your group. It starts telling you that it's not from this realm. It's a god that came through a tear in reality. And when it entered into our realm, it basically got frozen in amber. And it's been crystallized. And it's been trapped in this stone. And it wants you to take it back to the the, the rift that it came through. So you can send it back to where it came from. And through that, it will grant you 
anything. You want a new reality? It'll give you a new reality. Uh, it can do it. It, it, it's, it just needs freedom and it's begging for that. And in the meantime, all it can do is seduce anything around it. And so the, the, the gray dwarves want to take that back down to their underground church. The gray dwarves have a history of being mind wiped by mind flares and they're all brainwashed or a lot of them have been brainwashed or driven crazy in the underdark. And these were that, those gray dwarves and they came across the stone while influenced by the mind flares. And when they came across the stone, it broke the mind flare influence on them. It freed their minds. So for them, this stone is not just a religious icon, it's freedom and freedom from that enslavement. And they want that stone returned to them. Terry might climb down into the cave at this point and also come like, oh, no, lads, you got to give me the stone or that whole town upstairs is going to tear me apart. Yes, he knows what he's done is wrong, but he also took it away from the evil of the Underdark and he didn't couldn't destroy it. He couldn't take it anywhere. It was constantly in his dreams. But once he doused it in water, it went silent and it made the drink taste really good and it allowed him to have a business and a whole town has now built up around it. And if you if you get rid of this, that town is gonna is going to fall apart. The economy will collapse, they'll all be homeless, they'll all be scattered out into the woods, they'll have to find new places. You could destroy all their lives. They're they're victims, yes, but it's it's innocent enough. Let's just take it back. We'll go back. I'll let you have a 50% stake in my business. I'll, I'll let you have a 51% stake in the You can run it. You get all the money. And we just have to keep things going. And he wants to take the stone back and keep the ruse going up in Sweetwater Bank. Or you can decide to keep the stone for yourself. You can dispatch everybody and run off into the night. There's a number of different ways this can end. And the whole point is that it's up to the players. But I have hopefully played through a scenario here where you, you didn't exactly know where each reveal was going to come from, that it was satisfying when it was revealed, and maybe you end up leaving with a group of goblin army behind you as your new best <laughs> friends with Bogo and the uh, Bogo and the two-for-ones <laughs> with, with the dozen dwarves. Um, and that's, that's, that's my Sweetwater story. That's, that's that whole setup. And now I want to go back I know I, near the end I started revealing a little bit what I was doing because it's very hard to describe the scenario uh, without starting to reveal some of those secrets that are going on at the end. But now that you know the context of what's going on with the Gazer Stone, that at the very beginning this giant is a distraction from a heist which has been hired by Go uh, by gray dwarves to steal back a stone that Terry stole from them and has been using to magically manipulate customers at his tavern – it brings everything back into context back in town. You can play with that back in the in the town when you first arrive. When Terry kicks open the door, uh, he knows. He's just not going to tell you because he doesn't want you to know. Um, the rest of the townsfolk are in the dark, but many of them, uh, if you bring up the topic of the mead, will just start talking about it like it's the best thing they've ever had. They're talking about it like they talk about a, a, a lover. And... That should set off some alarm bells for you. And of course, during that whole time that you're dealing with what to do with the sleeping giant, you're dealing with the goblins underground moving away with the heist. And I've got another area that uh, if I need some more extra time before you even arrive in Sweetwater, you can come across 
the giant's uh, sleeping area out in the hills, and you can find by the river uh, a pot of that purple substance, and uh, maybe a juvenile steeder comes down, and and you're attacked by cranium rats, two underdark creatures. Which, like, what are they doing up in the in the woods? And that can foreshadow that there's something else going on. You can come across a goblin dead in the water, being f- eaten by these rats with that purple liquid. He was the one who came out and poisoned the giant, and they promised the giant that you could get better if you have some of that magical mead from Sweetwater, because even the hill giant had heard the rumors. So he headed to the storehouse in a panic to get the cure for this thing that was causing his mind to melt. And so that's why he arrives at the storehouse. And the whole thing is that he was going to attack the storehouse. The minute he attacks the storehouse, the goblins fire off their explosions and steal the tank. And no one will be the wiser that that's going on. They'll think that the explosion was caused by the giant. It's a good plan, and it's a plan that the goblins could never have come up with on their own because they didn't. The Grey Dwarves came up with it, and they told the goblins to go ahead and do it. You might come across that dead goblin out by the giant nest and find a note, and the note could be written in an uh, like under dark common or under common. And if you can uh, if you can decipher it, it's a message from their friends, uh, who are the Grey Dwarves. They keep referring to them as friends because they have enthralled the goblins with. Um, with with like charisma magic in the same thing that they've learned from meditating on the gazer stone they've learned a number of spells that allow you to um, uh, win over the hearts and minds of your target and so they have uh, hired the goblins with promises of riches but really they're they're magically manipulating them to do this job so like everyone's a victim here in this story no one's (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no one's innocent. No one's no one's really guilty either, except maybe Terry. He seems like the the worst one of the bunch, and uh, and so so I've got a little extra that I can put in there if I feel like I'm with a group that is going to run through it a lot quicker, or if I need to split the group up into separate locations because they're so large. Um, I have I could come up with a whole overworld bit through the woods that'll bring them through the river and then down into the cavern where they'll meet up with the gray dwarves at the same time that the people that go through the caves could meet up with them. But that's that's a whole other thing that I that. that I I would improvise. So the whole point of, uh, 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 of of your early bit is you can choose if you want to foreshadow a lot or if you want to keep them completely in the dark. But if you're going to do a surprise, I feel like you want to have a bit of a, a satisfaction of that reveal. So you're not just pulling the rug out of them. Like it's got to be consistent. You know what's going on at the beginning, that this is a heist, that there's a stone. You know the secret of sweet water. And you can you can pepper that through as you go through. But before I go any further behind the screens, that's it, Sean. What did you think here of the story of Sweetwater Bank, this little four-hour one-shot? Honestly, as far as one-shots go, it's fantastic. Um, I feel like it's got a satisfying conclusion. There's a full narrative. You have an arc. Um, you manage to throw in a lot of the classic storytelling, like rising action, and the you know you establish a sort of a safe comfort zone, and then immediately pull it out from under them. Um, and I found that. The, the reveals were satisfying. Like you did build up to them quite well. You want to um, have some, uh, like we want to break it up into acts. You got act one yeah. with the sleeping giant, act two, goblins in the cave, and then the final showdown. And between each of them, you've got a moment to breathe, rest, 
talk, investigate. You have uh, some social encounters. Like I wanted to have a bit where you can explore, do a little bit of like crime scene investigating with the underground storehouse. You want to piece together the information and do the who done it. You want to have uh, social engagement as well as a chance of doing combat because chances are a group's hiring me to run their game at a restaurant. They expect that they're going to roll for initiative and do some combat. So I don't want to break the mold too much because they want a Dungeons and Dragons story. And so there's a bit of you want to have a little bit of magic. You want to have a little bit of like monster characters. You want to have some combat. But I also want to help teach them that it's just not going to be Lord of the Rings necessarily. Like it can be more nuanced than that. It can be not what you expect uh, and and to try and break some of those tropes. Uh, but also I want to have like a big magical showdown because I might have a group of players where, like, if there isn't an evil wizard at the end, it's not going to feel like Dungeons and Dragons. So I, I kind of have to have that ready so that they can have that. Set. Everyone wants to roll dice. So I want to have moments where they're actually going to have to roll dice and not just do story mode. So there's a bit of that expectation of D&D that I want to yeah. be able to meet, but also to tell it in a story mode that gives them in four hours a little bit of something for everyone of this is what you can get out of Dungeons and Dragons, a little bit of exploring, role-playing, and combat, and you go through those like so-called three pillars of D&D, but also have uh, that beat it out so that as well at the very end, if they choose to keep the stone, right? That's something that I can give them, like, here's the rules that I've got for it. <laughs> you characters can keep it <laughs> yep. and take it off into your own campaign. And you can find out what's going on with the stone and in at home. And you can and you can take it with you. And it's just gonna continue it's gonna it's gonna be in your dreams. And it's gonna it, it's like a little grenade that you can roll into a room and every person in that room will be captured by the light of that stone. And 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 you can you can use it for like a distraction spell or, or any number of things, right? Yeah, I was gonna say this did feel like it could slot into another campaign very easily. Like it was structured in such a way that it could be a one shot, or you could also have before and after. Like it's a yeah. great sort of side mission. Yeah, and I and I and I wanted that as well because I would have some groups where they were playing characters from another story. It's like great. Well, you're just coming on, and I could just put I can put Sweetwater anywhere on their map, right? It's anywhere. It's in the gray places in between locations. So they might be leaving from their adventure heading to their next adventure and we just bloop, pop that right in the middle as a little interlude or they're coming off of what they've just done or this is their intro this is the very first session in their character's story and at the very end of it it can leap them off into their lives as adventurers depending on the choices that they made Uh, i was going to say structurally the way that you sort of had these critical decision nodes of like you can choose combat you can choose um, to negotiate but it seemed like as as a mimetic device as like because you have to run this consistently and on short notice as a DM, that seemed like a great idea of like you have tentpole moments and then you can kind of let the players navigate between them. Was that a conscious choice? Yeah, well, exactly. And it was kind of this idea of I've got to do this in four hours because then we're literally going to get kicked out of this table. The bill's going to come and we got to leave because there's another reservation right after us. So things need to happen if the players don't do anything at all. And, and and I know GMs run a lot of their games where things will happen if the players don't come up with that. It's a great way to come up with your scenarios. Like, consider what would happen if your players never showed up. Let that be the thing that will happen if your players then don't do anything and then play through the story and let your players disrupt your plans. But I also need to have things happening automatically as well. So the the giant needs to be resolved in the first hour. If they don't resolve it, 
Terry and the townsfolk will. The giant will get up, smash a bunch of things, grab his club, and just walk away confused into the woods. And that will happen if the players don't do anything. And then the goblins are continuing down the cave. If you don't go down into the cave, Terry's going down into the cave to get his fermentation tank. And that is just going to happen. They're going to get dragged along if they don't do anything because I have to do that. We've got to leave at the four-hour mark. And so... Between the storehouse and the goblins is the next two hours, and I need to hit the final showdown in the final hour because we're going to be dealing with some magic spells, a big boss, a nice encounter. It's got to feel epic, so I need to have that happen. By the time we get to the third hour timer, and I've got a clock running, that is going to happen. So if you don't go down in, the Duragar are going to come up, and they're going to meet the goblins and interrupt. If you're spending a lot of time having fun role-playing with the goblins and recruiting them to your team, then the Grey Dwarves are going to be like, what's the holdup? And they're going to come up the cave, and they're going to meet you at the three-hour trigger, and the, and it's going to have the final showdown happen, whether or not you head down into the final cavern or not. Then that's going to self-destruct. Either the villain is going to end up killing themselves by throwing themselves into the stone or something's going to happen where it's just going to billow up out of the way usually if i'm really running out of time one of the little tricks i'll do is the gazer stone will offer a player a level three magic spell like fireball or something that will like immediately bring an end to the combat if you pledge allegiance to them and give yourself to the stone and they will give you access to like one final like god moment god of war moment where you can just like hit a and in the battle's over and 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 you know and that that, that'll happen and then i want to have at least the last like half hour or 20 minutes for the players to decide what they do now uh, where where there's no more combat the story's over but you're left with all of the answers and what do you do with the stone? Do you give it to Terry? Do you let the Grey Dwarves run off with it? Do you keep it for yourself? Do you try to destroy it? And uh, and maybe I'll montage my way through things of like, you know, they leave town and I'll describe what happens to the town, whether they help them or not, or what happens to the st- or what happens to Terry or to the Grey Dwarves. And, and we'll play that out. And, and as the bill is being brought in and as I'm closing my books and I'm taking their sheets back and I let them keep their character sheets, I'll describe what they've done to the world. <laughs> <laughs> and whether it's good or bad, but it's really important that like I wanted to have those those tent poles, the giant, the goblin, the final showdown that needs to happen at not just it needs to happen in that order, but it needs to happen at very specific times in this four hours. And so um, it's designed so that you know the giant will just move off on his own. The goblins are moving on their own. The the the, the gray dwarves are looking at their watch going, we got to get going because they don't want to be around. They can't go to the surface. The sunlight will kill them. And so that's why they needed the goblins to do the dirty work for them. But they'll go closer to the surface to meet up with the goblins because they're addicted to the stone as well. They need to get this thing back and they need to get away from Terry before it gets stolen from them. And so... Yeah, there's this whole whole thing that's gonna stuff is gonna happen if no one shows up. It's still gonna happen in four hours. Nice. Uh, I also noticed like with those ten pull moments, there's a lot of not clear moral choices, which I found was interesting. Like there, there's no not necessarily an obviously good answer, or there's a there's shades of gray. Was that? Well, yeah, of course, well, yeah. because uh, <laughs> I don't, I, I I love it when my players have to ask if they're the villain in their story, and the. Uh, you know the, the the assumption that you're playing heroes in Dungeons and Dragons, I think, is just because you're the you're you're the main character, so you think you're the hero. Um, but even even the people of Sweetwater, some of them don't trust adventurers. They see you as you show up to town and monsters follow in your wake, 
not the other way around. <laughs> like it's this whole thing of like Batman and his rogues gallery. Does one exist without the other? Would the Joker have risen to power if Batman never came to Gotham? Maybe. Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe this is all escalation because of a rich guy getting into a suit, right? So there's this whole question that I like to bring up. And and I and those are always my favorite stories on Terrible Warriors as well, where we had to ask yeah. those questions. And like, if you uh, listened to a lot of the podcast, you remember our, sev- our, uh, our mouse guard story that we did. The mouse guard story had us up against a big snapping turtle that had fallen asleep in town. It's That's the giant that I recreating like the sleeping giant in Sweetwater is just lifting that scenario of the snapping turtle, but the snapping turtle hasn't done anything wrong either. He just came out to bask in the sun. (laughs) He's sleeping in the center of town. (laughs) And as little mice, you can't defeat this thing. You have to lure it out of town and try and do it in a way that it does the least amount of damage to the town around you. So I tried to recreate that in Dungeons and Dragons with the hill giant. So there's a bit of, you could fight it, but if you do, there's going to be a lot of collateral damage. It better if you can find a way to peacefully lure it back out into the woods and let it just head off. If you can get him into the water, all the better, because it'll wash the drugs off of his face and off of his hand. And 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 and, and that he doesn't need magical mead. He needs to have his eyes flushed. And and once he gets that, he can he can he can wander out into the woods and he doesn't want to be in town. He's terrified of the people in this town. They hunt hill giants. So he he wants to just get away. He wants to grab his club and leave. And so uh, I, I really try to paint, you know, if, if you if you do a little bit of investigating, just a little bit, you'll see that that uh, this big giant is uh, uh, is is really innocent. And, 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 you know, if you choose to kill it. It's uh, that's on you. And, uh, and and as a GM, I I'll let the players do these things. But but I'll, but I'll be clear of like where the sympathy with the audience should be lying. Uh, right. and, I, and I love playing with that. Like you could fight the goblins. The goblins will will. I mean, it's their job. They once they get to half of their numbers, they'll start fleeing. They've got nimble escape as a, as a class feature so they can disappear without attacks of opportunity. And then the boss will just immediately fall to his knees and and offer his services and surrender. And they will not fight to the death. None of them, none of the characters in the story will fight to the death. They will fight to, to the goblins, they'll fight to first blood. To the Duragar, the cleric will fight to the death to get the stone back. But the others will fight to the cleric's death. The minute the cleric is gone, they've got no reason anymore to stay and they'll retreat into the Underdark. And so... The uh, so it, it 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 the players need to decide too. Like, are they going to be the ones be the only people in the story that fight <laughs> till the last health point, or do they learn right. the art of retreat? I was, I was just gonna say, I think it's critical to this scenario that the character that all of the NPCs are more than just numbers on the page. Like, they need to be fleshed out to make all of those moments matter. Um, and I really like that you ended on a like, yes, there's a climactic fight. The thing that people are going to remember isn't necessarily that they were rolling dice, that they're going to remember that they had to make a moral choice as like the last thing in the yeah. scenario. I think that's that's really good structuring. Well, exactly. And that's what I want. Like as much as I like rolling dice, like there's a there's a satisfaction in rolling dice. You and I know from playing tabletop, that's not the thing you remember. The right. thing you remember is when after you got the MacGuffin and you're heading back to the ship, your friend pulled out the detonator and blew up the ship around you and then escaped and betrayed the party. No dice rolls were done. It just 
he used to stab Joel in the back. You remember that. You 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 remember when uh, our Dirk from the Seventh Sea moved in and stabbed the bishop in the belly, uh, and uh, but 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 before tried to woo her and and seduce her, and like I don't you know none of this means anything. I I could I could love you instead, and and being like yo, I declare you apostate. Oh well, too bad. I guess I have to kill you now. And. <laughs> like like these moments that happened in our podcast, the the biggest ones, the ones that I remember the most, aren't the ones that happened because of dice rolls. They happened because of player yeah. choices. And so I want you to have the satisfaction of a boss fight uh, because you expect that when you play Dungeons and Dragons, especially for the first time, especially if you've listened to other shows like Critical Role. Like that, that's something that you just is a, an expectation of this game. But I then want you to have okay, you've now defeated the cleric. What do you do now? Because the game doesn't end. Like in a video game with defeating the boss, the game continues. The story continues after the game is done, leaving you to speculate and fan fiction your character about what happens next. You've got the stone or you don't have the stone. Like either way, that's dramatic now of what happens to Sweetwater. There's all of these people up there who are victims of Terry's manipulation. And what are you going to do about them? If you choose not to give them back the stone, are you going to help them recuperate? Are you going to help them relocate? Are you going to help them with their addiction? Or are you just going to leave them to suffer? Or are you going to give Terry back the stone and let him keep his ruse going? And they all get rich and powerful and happy. And none of them know that they're being secretly, slowly enthralled by this cursed item. <laughs> there isn't a clean answer either way. No matter what you choose there's going to be some kind of fallout and how responsible are you then? If you take the stone and run and the townsfolk turn on Terry and kill him and I've had outcomes where the townsfolk uh, have been told that the stone has been, or that the mead uh, has been stolen and taken underground and they start die. They, they hire the goblins to start like an, uh, a cave tour company and they start going down and trying to recover this thing from Terry, all becoming more and more desperate. They end up becoming bandits that, that attack other towns full of paranoia that they've been robbed by nearby settlements. Right. And they just turn into like, <laughs> uh, Mad Max war boys, uh, you know, oh, wow. seeking for water <laughs> and, and like, you know, things happen. And, and because, because you just let it, unravel uh or do you or do you tell them the truth of what terry had done have some kind of justice done and then help them recover from the magical effects of the stone you're not going to do that in our session um but uh, you know some have chosen to stay behind at sweetwater and help them some have chosen to work with terry and keep the tavern going some steal the the, the stone and run off into the night and i just i have a fade to black as the townsfolk move in on terry um but uh, there's this whole question of there is no right way. Terry has already done the first sin in this game, in this scenario, and the crime has already been committed. And 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 how you resolve that is is entirely up to what your group wants to wants to uh, decide. It, your the fate of this town is in your hands. Right. Awesome. And that, I think a lot of that came from us playing Dogs in the Vineyard. Uh, huh. Dogs in the Vineyard was a game where you played uh, uh, basically missionaries uh, or watchdogs, you were called, going off on your mission to other branches in like a Western environment. And as you arrive, and it's it loosely based off of uh, the creator creating an RPG based on his Mormon heritage. And what if all these things were, were, were right about the demons and the darkness and all that? So you go from settlement to settlement solving pr crimes. And you're 16 years old. And you've been given uh, a Bible 
and a gun. And those are the only two tools you need to solve every problem in life. And because of your job, you're a little bit like the specters in Mass Effect. You've been told that your word is the word of God because you have been anointed by, by, by the tree of life. And so when you go into these towns and you declare things through dogma, that is now the law. And, they can, and only another watchdog can declare your judgment incorrect or, 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 or wrong. And so if you go into town and shoot the sheriff and drag his body out into the streets, legally, no one can do anything to stop you. And so it's up to the players to solve the mysteries of each town. Little like one shots think like, Texas Walker or uh, Kung Fu, the legend continues and like that, where he's going into a new town each week and solving the mystery of the week kind of plays that way in that game. And so uh, there was a bit of that with the Gazer Stone, I think, about Sweetwater, of playing a little bit of Dogs in the Vineyard, of you're going to have to decide the future of this town. Even if you decide not to do anything, your inaction will decide the future of this town as well. And so um, what do you do? And uh I, I love leaving the players thinking about that and just, just yeah, to consider a, their actions in the future. Well, and make it not an easy choice. I think that's a big part of it. That's, a, that's very important. Yeah, and even if they decide not to make a choice, that's a choice. Yeah, make it obvious that that is a choice. Actually, speaking of making things obvious, I, I had a moment of uh, realizing, so you're running a lot of new players through this as well as experienced D&D players. Some people have never played D&D or even a tabletop RPG in their lives. Right. So, and you talked about having expectations set up sometimes and occasionally subverting them. So how do you go about, I noticed there's some things that you drop hints here and there through the scenario of uh, ways to like show, Hey, this might, you might be able to subvert expectations here. How, what's the thought process behind like creating those little moments that key in new players? So what do you mean? Like with the foreshadowing or? Yeah. With the foreshadowing or things like, you know, the, the moment where the giant is wanting his club and maybe you, you, you're creating moments of sympathy that undermine maybe what people might expect. I think for the, for me, it starts off even before the adventure really begins. Uh, if they're meeting their characters the first time, they got pre-generated characters that I've made for them. I start the story in play with them walking down the road and I have them like, okay, the four of you are walking down the road. I tell them the story of Sweetwater before I even tell them their characters and who here is our cleric. And then I have someone tell me the cleric and I hand them the character sheet and I start asking them some questions or who here is the bard in the group? And I always love having a bard in the group. And, <laughs> and, and I hand it out and I ask them then like, not just about their skills or their abilities, but like, so the bard in the group is like an embedded journalist. Your job is to tell the story of this adventuring group and to gather the stories of other places. Maybe you're going to Sweetwater because no one has told the story of Sweetwater and Terry's Tavern yet. You want to come up with Terry's song. You want to tell the song of the Sweetwater Mead so that other towns can learn about this new mythology that is going to happen. And so you're the first bard to arrive here. Uh, and, and, and so you're not just a musician. You're, you're, a, you're a documentarian in a way. And also, while you're traveling with the adventuring group, I love asking them a question I got from Forbidden Lands, someone in this group is the subject of your songs. They're the hero in your tales. Who is it? And do they know that they are the subject of the songs? <laughs> That's a great character question. Right. And, 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 and again, it has nothing to do with the stats, right? It immediately starts creating a, a tissue, a social tissue between the players where, okay, the bard is singing about the fighter the fighter doesn't know the bard is singing about the fighter because the bard only refers to all their songs about a bear and they're singing all their songs about a main character who's just the bear and the fighter thinks he's literally singing about a bear and everyone else in the group knows that the bear is just a metaphor for the fighter right and so now the fighter is a himbo 
<laughs> in our group. <laughs> and and it immediately starts like subverting again expectations. We're not just playing the fighter, the bard, the wizard, the cleric. We're playing characters that are unique and different. They're yours. You have agency to describe them. Yes, I've come up with their stats, but I can't come up with their name or how they look or how they act or what their motivations are. I want you to help fill that gap in for me. And I'll ask through Power by Apocalypse games, I've learned how to ask leading questions that are like, oh, okay, so you come into class and you sit down and that person who's always bullying you and pulling your hair is sitting right behind you. What was their name again? And so <laughs> I'm not having them come up with an entirely blank slate NPC. I'm coming up with their Biff Tannen, but I want them to then just name this character. So now they are complicit in their creation. And so for new players, they're not going to be improvisers. Some of them might be improvisers. Some of them might have theater background. And they're going to really, at that point, I take, I, I step a little bit further back and I let them just fill in all the blanks. But if they're not strong feelings at improvising, I, I ask a lot of leading questions like that bard question. Who's the hero of your story? Do they know? Yes, no. And then they can just look around the table and they just point at one of their friends. Oh, well, it's my friend Corey. And Corey's the one who is the, and, and, and then, okay, well, Corey, are you playing the role? Rogue, or are you playing the ranger? Because now the bard singing about the thief or the bard singing about the hunter is going to be a very different kind of bard. And and it's going to start creating some drama between. And, so, and then the, if they're playing the rogue, one of the questions I asked was like, who in the group is taking more than their fair share every time you do a job? Right. Because hmm. as the rogue, you're a little bit like the master of coins. Right. You're going to divvy things up and you're keeping track of where all the gold is going. And someone in the group is taking more than their due. And, oh, well, it's the bard because the bard is constantly taking like finders fees. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've got, you know, uh, all of my uh, hazard pays because I'm taking the limit. I'm going to be making you all famous. So I obviously need to take a commission rate on top of my adventuring rate. And like you know, and the rogue is keeping track of all of that. And so. Those are, you can begin before you even arrive at Sweetwater with the group bickering amongst themselves. And then usually at that point, I've pitted them against each other and they're all arguing about something that I can find that they, that they can, they can, they can go off on. And then the one person that is not involved in those conversations, maybe the newest player who's not feeling like they feel like they can be involved in the story. That's when I go to them and I go, so they're all doing this. They're not paying attention. And you hear the explosion off in the distance. What do you do? And, and it lets them now come into the story because it's really important when you're playing with new players that you bring them in and make them feel important, make them feel like the main character, make them feel like the spotlight is being shared with them. So you do have to play attention, especially with new people at the group, especially in a restaurant environment that might be someone's partner who's being dragged out for a night and they don't want to play this game. They don't like it. They don't care about it. It's their birthday. It's their partner's birthday. They thought it'd be fun. So you, you got to appreciate that. But try and bring them in and let them have a moment where they can at least answer yes or no questions or at least be involved in the decision process of what to do with what happens. And that happens right before the story even begins. When they're walking down the trail, there's no danger. So it gives me an opportunity to have them all introduce each other to each other create their social backstory in like 10 minutes and then the explosion happens that brings them into the story and i usually uh, find through that who are the talkers who are the ones who are going to try to quarterback who's going to try and tell people what to do who's going to be the person who's not going to be speaking up who's the shy player and try and find ways to make them all feel like you're all important to this story you're all important to me and i don't want you to know my story of sweetwater 
what I want, I've already done Sweetwater. I know what's going to happen. I want to know what your characters are about. I want to know your stories because those are going to be the things I'm going to use later on when the Gazer Stone is revealed. And I'm going to get into their heads at that point. And I'm going to start twisting the knife and I'm going to start drawing them in. And usually if you can, they don't know that I'm keeping notes in that beginning. They don't know that I'm keeping track of their rogue backstory or their bard, right? They're not paying, like they're ordering drinks. They're getting their meals out. We're just creating characters. That's just for fun. Then two and a half hours later, when the Gazer Stone is revealed and I start pulling out, you see your dead brother alive and well waiting at home for you. I can bring them back for you. And they're like, what, what, how did you remember this? Right? Like, like I could start bringing like, like, <laughs> like I'm reading their minds. And, uh, and so that early bit, that care, those leading questions, those are all going to be fodder for you to be able to use later with the gazer stone. But they're also so important for new players to feel like it's a chance for me to communicate to them that you're going to be important to my story. You're not just along for the ride. You are going to determine the fate of this town. And that all happens even before we arrive in the town. I also think it, I love that it's, you bring it back around and like the third act, that's fantastic storytelling. Like it's, a, it becomes a sort of a feedback loop. Especially we're at a restaurant, you know, they love bringing out shots. They were, they had, this restaurant had the infinity shots where they would bring out seven shots, all glowing, the different colors of the infinity gauntlet. And they'd all say so you'd have the space shot, the reality shot, the power shot. Wow. And so, so by the time you get to the third act too, they're all just a little bit buzzed and they don't remember that they've told me all of their secrets <laughs> earlier. So I can really blow their mind. It was great. It was a fun, easy audience when that would happen, but <laughs> Is, is it a bit more challenging playing with players who are at, like actively consuming an intoxicant while while running it? Well, they weren't getting like that right. drunk because the, the, we were also eating a full okay. meal as well. Um, and a lot of them were coming out for birthdays or for celebrations. And it's only in four hours and you're only going to get like so drunk that quickly when you're also eating and participating in an right. RPG. Uh, it did just mean that by the final hour, everyone was, would just be more relaxed. Right. And they would just be, and, and not everyone would be drinking. Certainly, you know, the, this restaurant had some really great uh, non-alcoholic options. And uh, I would always turn down the drinks because I would always play sober. I might have a shot at the very end of the game if they wanted to buy me a shot. But I would say, like, we'll save it for the very end. If you want to order drinks, because also at a restaurant, I want to, like, try to upsell them because they would keep booking me for games if my table kept making more right. money <laughs> buying drinks, right? So so there's a bit of that, like, if, if, if they don't want to drink, that's, like, I would try and, like, point out treats and desserts and other things like that as we we're going and if they wanted some of them would want to buy me a drink and i would appreciate that but i would i would always ask that it would happen right after the final like like tell you what as soon as we're done the boss fight i'd be more than happy to have shots with you and uh that's different but i i have to play my game sober uh in order to keep the game yeah. safe because this is the other side too we're playing at a restaurant playing with strangers they've never met me i've never met them i did have an x card at the table uh as a safety tool but there wasn't time to teach them about lines and veils and all these other like I just have to play this as like my first safety mechanic rules for the most part they're also coming as friend groups and we're playing a game that isn't going to be pushing a lot of you know it's pg-13 through most of it but if they're also afraid of spiders <laughs> and I bring a big giant hairy spider that's an x card moment okay it's not a spider anymore they're just not writing anything and i would just delete them and there's just they're just they're just going to be gray dwarves uh if they're afraid of rats or the cranium rats i just get rid of the rats and and i would just delete them out entirely if they're claustrophobic and they're afraid of caves i would just all right the cave is going to be a lot bigger than it is i'm not going to describe it too much it's just a dungeon and we're you know try not to you know um uh dwell on it 
too much. But but then the final decision about what we do with the town, uh, that might be a moment where an X card would come in depending on what you do to the town, especially if you're dealing with addiction, that what happens with the mm-hmm. stone. Um, so I try to, again, play it off a little bit like a Marvel movie in, in, in that like we're dealing with, quote, serious topics, but we're also doing it in four hours and I'm trying to keep it um, a little bit more like the way Disney deals with serious topics in the Marvel films. <laughs> um, so, so not even PG 13, but even like straight up PG. And I've played this game with children where parents are bringing their kids out to play Dungeons and Dragons for the first time because they saw it a, a, on a flyer somewhere and they thought it'd be a fun night out. And so, uh, um, try and try, it's, it's actually the kids who are the ones who want to get like really gross with the combat and I'll be like, all right, we're going to roll that back. Cause you're freaking mom out now. And, uh, and they're going to think that you're a serial killer. So let's, uh, let, let, let's dial it down a touch. Um, so I have an X card at the table that I'll explain it to. Uh, but, uh, for almost everyone who's introduced to Dungeons and Dragons for the very first time shows the, the big ones like critical role or, or the adventure zone. They don't talk about safety mechanics on their show. They're just playing Dungeons no, and Dragons because they want to play games. And, and I feel like it's done a bit of a disservice to the entire community because people who listen to those podcasts are the kinds of people who are going to hire me to run games. But find people that listen to other actual plays like terrible warriors, they tend to be the people who run the games. And so the people that were coming who were like, oh, we heard about Dungeons and Dragons because we saw it on Community or we saw it on The Big Bang Theory or we saw it on South Park or we saw it on, we heard about it on this podcast that a friend likes. And um, all of those people, uh, they just know Dungeons and Dragons as you play a wizard, you roll a d20, you get loot, you have experience points, right? Like that's that's surface level as they understand it. When I start mentioning a safety mechanic at the table, they look at me like, what? So... I would have it at the table. It would never come up. Um, so it was my job more so to remain sober and keep things you know, safe and to check in with players as best as I can, especially if someone has brought a partner with them who is not into the hobby. Um, I got to just make sure that, you know, all right, if you don't want to play, like I can't force you to play, I get it. You just want to come to the restaurant and have a drink and eat a meal. And you're also playing Dungeons and Dragons and you're rolling your eyes at it. Okay. Uh, I just want you to make sure that what we're doing isn't hurting you in the process as well and bring you along right. and just like, I'll just have you roll dice and let you deal damage and, and you can just be our sneaky, quiet rogue. Um, and, and they'd be happy doing that. Uh, but even then by the third hour, that now they're getting into the mystery and they're going like, oh, this isn't nerdy shooting wizards. There's like a moral to it, right? And now we're doing like true crime investigations and it's a little bit like an escape room and a puzzle and and they start leaning closer on the edge of their seat and, and there was a couple times where they get into it and they get like, oh, there's there's more to it than only describing your actions when you attack an enemy, Right. Um, there's so much of Dungeons and Dragons where the GM describes their entire story and doesn't give the player any opportunity to participate in the world building except when they succeed in an attack roll. And that sucks. I don't, it's not my Dungeons and Dragons, right? (laughs) I want them to tell me what do they want to do with the giant? What do they think about Terry? Where are they coming from? Why are they coming to Sweetwater? I've told you what the mystery is, but why you're coming, where you get your job from, what town you're coming from, none of that actually matters to me. (laughs) What matters to me (laughs) is that you tell me, and that makes it important now. I I give them a couple of options. Maybe a merchant guild's hiring you. Maybe you want to solve the mystery your own. Maybe there's a prince and they're having a wedding and they've hired you to, they, they want this meet at their wedding. 
and they, their ambassador has already been rebuffed. So they've hired you to steal the mead. So now, you know, like, so you're already showing up as thieves. <laughs> and so there's different, and, and then you find out there's someone's already robbed the item before you get it. Right. So there's a bit of like a little bit like oceans 11, but you showed up too late to the casino. And so, uh, you know, <laughs> the, the, why you're showing up to Sweetwater is important to you, the player. It's not important to me at all. And so I want them to feel invested. And so by giving them opportunities to describe why their characters are with these other characters, why they've taken this job, why they're doing such and such with the goblins or with Terry, it makes them involved in the story, invested in the story, and now it makes them complicit in the story. So at the very end, when they decide what to do with that stone, they're responsible, not me. They are. And it's not my story anymore. By the very end of the game, it should be their story. And then they can take it off. And hopefully they're going out to the street and they're joking about that thing that they did and had nothing to do with the dice rolls and had everything to do with the choices that they made. Fantastic. I'm I'm running out of questions. I just was hoping that you had a Sweetwater Mead at the actual restaurant because if not, missed opportunity. No, no, we didn't have that. Um, <laughs> but uh, but like they did have the shots. They did have the D20 shot where you would roll a D20. Right. And if you got a one, it was like a terrible drink. And if you got a 20, I think it was like the birthday co- uh, shot. And you get to keep the shot glass if you rolled a 20. And then, and then, and then two through 19 would have like, it would go from like a bitter to sweet intensity. So it was kind of fun. So, so they would just like, we would roll the D20 shot. So they would do things like that or they would order the darth vader the dark side and it would be a uh, like a like a tiki drink like a shared bowl with four straws in it but it was out of a darth vader head and they would bring it out and when you would order it the entire restaurant all the lights would go down and it would turn red and it would play the imperial march through the entire three stories of the restaurant and then they would march the Vader head through all of the rooms before bringing it to your table. It was it was very, so there was a lot of that happening as well while I'm running the games. Is uh, throughout the games the lights would flicker, dun 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 dun. dun. <laughs> we have to. Uh, there's no way I can talk over it, so I just gotta wait for it to pass. No. So I was joking that eventually I'd end up running a Star Wars game where every single time someone else orders the Darth Vader helmet, uh, something dark side would happen in the game. Um, that that never happened, <laughs> but I thought that would be funny to do, and. So so oh, that'd be fantastic. So they were like, they're like, you're, you're, you're locked in a room. I, I had one group hire me specifically. They, they'd requested, they wanted to just do a danger room. They wanted to just do combat encounter. They weren't interested in the story. And I was like, well, that sucks. So I had them trapped in, um, kind of like the cube, the movie. Right. I had them trapped that, and I, and I had a D six on the table and every time I would move the D six on the table, the floor would become the wall and the wall would become the ceiling and the whole room would rotate and they would all fall onto the next and then everything would collapse. And I was trying to keep everything moving around like they were inside the Rubik's Cube with debris and everything falling around them as monsters are pouring in through the gaps. And they're just being they've been captured by this wizard. And it's like, you just have to survive and like like a little bit like cube meets saw meets hostile. <laughs> and so so there's a little bit of, of that going on. And then when they escape that they would look into a chamber with like dozens and dozens of giant cubes, just like the one they've just escaped from and, and, and the evil wizard at the top of the tower. So like that kind of worked. It was mechanically was, it was very, very difficult to figure out how to do it without like immediately killing them. But, uh, but that's what they asked for. So I just like, all right, I was going to punish you for four hours then. And they loved it. They, they they really loved it. They really loved the, the twist of like the 3d thinking of it, of being trapped inside of a D six as it's rolling around. And, um, (laughs) And then I had another story that I did 
uh, based off of a Terrible Warriors story where Ori Falconer played Xenafia Grizzard, the half-elf wizard that had a lizard that taught him Blizzard. And in our story, we oh, did geez. The Minds of Fendelver, which is a, a starter kit adventure for 5th edition D&D. And at the end of it, you fight a Goblin King. And in our story, <laughs> Ori killed the Goblin King, took his crown, and went, I am king of the Goebbels now. And and he became the Gebelkling. And he uh, uh, the goblins, seeing the person wearing their king's goblin king crown went yeah uh, you're the king now you're wearing the crown so you're the king now so they all they all they all <laughs> rolled and they all went yeah he's he's the king and so our wizard became the goblin king and and then it ended we ran that's where our story stopped and so so oh, i decided geez. what would happen then okay four five six years later He's now gone mad with power, and he's become the evil wizard Zenafia Grizzard, king of the goblins. And you've been hired by the terrible warriors to go and, like, they don't want to kill him. He's his old friend, but you got to stop him. He's done something, and this region has now been plunged into a never-ending winter. And so you've got to go out and, like, either capture him or kill him if you must or something you just need to stop him and uh and when you get there the goblins have been thrown out of the mountain uh they're all refugees now he was using them in experiments against gelatinous cubes to build a giant oh. go- goliath cube um a massive kaiju sized gar- <laughs> a gelatinous cube um that he used to power an elevator <laughs> <laughs> so oh, it would it would pull of the pulley down and push the pulley out and it created this this never-ending suction pushing <laughs> power uh that would also clean the surfaces of the elevator platforms so he would That's so he efficient. would throw all his trash into this like never-ending trash chute that would also make the gelatinous cube grow because he's he's gone insane have you ever watched hbo's barry i have that that shows phenomenal so yeah so so remember no whole hank Yep. That was how I would play Zenafia Grizzard. Like, oh, hey, guys, (laughs) welcome to my evil lair. It's so good that you're here. I'm waiting up on the top floor. I've made snacks. I've got my wand ready. And when you show up, we'll fight to the death. See you (laughs) soon. Bye. And so as the GM, I would just talk to them in character as Zenafia Grizzard, who's scrying on them the whole time as they go through his castle. And he's like, you know, as we're going through comedy, we're like, well, it's the rogue's turn. You rolled next on initiative. He's just, he's playing a little bit like Deadpool. Like he just knows how the system works because he used to be an adventurer just like them. So he knows the game. And, uh, and so I'm just sitting there at the table, just mocking the players the whole time. It was so much fun. And so they would go through this like ice castle uh, and they would fight these elementals and then there was the, the 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 trap the gelatinous cube isn't something you fight it's something you fall into and uh, uh, and then you get up to the very top and then there's noho hanks and Afia grizzard and when you defeat him very quickly because he's squishy he's just surrounded by force fields but if you can get over the force field or through the force field if you can climb around the rooftop i had a few rogues drop down and kill him in one hit the minute he dies his dead man switch goes off and the lizard that taught him blizzard comes home from the hunt who is now growing up into a full juvenile white dragon oh no (laughs) and oh no a blue dragon whichever one does ice powers and just starts attacking them at that point you're level five characters you are not defeating this thing and i make it very clear i have players die in this this is this is a story where like i don't mind if when the dragon shows up in the final 45 minutes you might die and your character will just be eaten and you're just running and so as you head to the elevator you're running down i would have the the dragon clawing through the hallways and then coming over the top and following down the elevator shaft as everything's collapsing around you as the magical powers that were keeping the ice palace frozen are now melting at the same time so everything's collapsing and you just got to escape before you're buried under the castle um 
and if you and it's survival roles and acrobatic roles, all kinds of things to avoid. And and hopefully the dragon ends up falling into the gelatinous cube, and hopefully he takes a couple of players along with them in the process, and they all go into the cube and they just get dissolved. And and you're running out. Maybe only one or two people escape unscathed and you've got the goblins if you brought the refugee goblins in with you the whole reason they're along with you is to play like like in every movie like congo or deep blue sea or all those movies were just like the red shirts that just get eaten by <laughs> elementals and so i'm playing it off like that kind of a movie and uh and then you escape the castle everything collapses in the frost begins to melt and, uh, and either you have captured Zenafia Grizzard or you've killed Zenafia Grizzard but either way like you've you've resolved the issue of the of the wizard no, that that played off I liked it but it was it was done in response where Sweetwater Bank was not magical enough and people really wanted to go against they mm. wanted to have a dragon in Dungeons and Dragons and so so that right. would be my other story that I would do that was just much more high fantasy and um a little bit more of a puzzle there's a hallway there's a there's a combat there's the elevator and then there's the final showdown with the wizard um and that worked out fine enough i just found sweetwater bank to be so much more satisfying a story and a mystery uh and so i might end up starting to develop Zenafia grizzard more as like an ongoing story if i have a group that actually wants me to play more than one session with them because i really liked playing oh, please the whole hank wizard it was just it was just delightfully unhinged <laughs> That just that sounds like such a wonderful antagonist and obviously yeah, memorable. Yeah, which exactly. Is the so goal. he would you would get up into the showdown and he's standing out on his throne, surrounded by sigils drawn into the into the into the floor, and he grabs his wand. He goes, All right now, and he points it at you. Shall we duel to the death? Who comes first now, one at a time? People are like, and sometimes <laughs> they would just go, okay, we, they they choose someone to go off by okay. like, why are you doing that? You can all just attack him at once. He's insane. He's just <laughs> You don't have to pander. Yeah, to him. but but because the the Zenafia was speaking through the voice of the GM, they it would it would it would oh, trip them up. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> but along with that, like I found what I could do with Sweetwater, especially for new players, was it allowed them to ask more internal questions, and it revealed mm-hmm. more of what the potential of Dungeons and Dragons was. Whereas the Zenafia Grizzard story, as fun as it was for me, it did feel more. Um, basic it felt a little bit more like default expectations which is fine but part of what maya was trying to do is also very without doing it kind of evangelize like this is what it can be this is what it can be like it can be more than what you think it's going to be and hopefully win over a couple of people at the table who maybe thought that this was going to be the only time they would ever play it because they were just placating their friend for their birthday and and maybe there was a couple of people who have played that who have then since gone off to continue playing Dungeons and Dragons. So I think what you've accomplished with Sweetwater is that you've got a framework where the plot might be the same every time, but the themes and the the story that you tell is manages to be different despite the plot being the same every time. That's it's, yeah, it's incredible. And it's something where every single time I have played Sweetwater, it changes just a little bit, and I learn a little bit more about that setting. Uh, the the Gazer Stone didn't exist the very first time I played it. It was it was actually just enchanted meat. It was just liquid. Um, but then I was like, why are these gray dwarves trying to steal surface dwarf alcohol? Like that doesn't make any sense to me. So what would the Durgar actually be into? What if there's something else going on here? And I started coming up with this conspiracy. Then you know I started learning more about the goblins and the whole thing with with buy one get one free Bogo Goblin. Like that's that's very recent, uh, but also uh, what was going on with the giant and the club. Um, everything's just kind of evolved. The more times I run it over and over and over again, it's not that I'm just doing it on repeat. It does 
I, I, I might improvise a little bit something else each time as I learn a little bit more about each character's motivations. And it's, it's made it so that it, it's really fun for me to run. It, it's, it's one of the only situations where I've, I've run the same game not just running the same game, like I've certainly played Forbidden Lands a lot, but actually running the exact same scenario with different people over and over and over again, that's a really rare opportunity uh, to have outside of like running it at a convention or being a game developer yourself. Um, and that, that has been really fun for me to, uh, to, to, to discover. And through that, you know, I have a lot more things that I would consider if I was writing a new story. Awesome. Yeah, replayability is a big thing. If you're the GM, like you need to be able to have fun coming back to it. So keep putting in those things that allow you to keep it fresh, I think is super important. So that's all I got, Sean. Yeah, that's, that that's was my what behind I got. the screens. And I just thought we would have a little conversation about Sweetwater Bank. It's something that I've mentioned for years on the podcast about. So I'm glad to finally kind of open up about that story. Um, I'm hoping to, I'll, I'll probably put a write-up on Patreon soon about uh, Sweetwater. Uh, if I had the time and the inclination, I would love to even make it available on Foundry Virtual Tabletop. But I don't have the time for that. So maybe maybe someone will take my write-up and create Sweetwater Bank. And if you do, if you do anything with Sweetwater, if you decide to run Sweetwater, I'd love to hear about it. Uh, come back to me and tell me about how that story went. Uh, so that that story, uh, I'm going to post up on Patreon as like a system or rules agnostic setting. So like Sweetwater Bank doesn't have to be done in Dungeons & Dragons. It could be done in any setting. It could be done in Pathfinder or Dungeon World or in Forbidden Lands, anything. It doesn't have to be... Dungeons and Dragons, because even I was making changes on how giants operated. Um, and yeah, I took the gray dwarves and the goblins, but you can you can change those around with literally anything you want that can fit your setting. Sweetwater doesn't even necessarily have to happen in a fantasy setting. It could happen in masks as well. Um, so so I'll write the story up. I'll have the beats down, the different characters. And uh, yeah, it's it's yours to have if you support us on Patreon of any amount. I'll just I'll just post it up there sometime this week. All right, fantastic. So that's all I have for us today. Uh, stay tuned to our Twitter account at Dice Warriors, where I hope to be announcing very soon a new actual play recording that we are going to be doing uh, and, uh, and maybe uh, I've already done by the time this episode comes out. So stay tuned for that. Uh, that's going to be that's going to be very exciting. I believe, Sean, you're going to be joining us for that. Indeed, so indeed. That'll be exciting. Yes. So we'll, we'll, we'll have a wonderful time with a couple of short adventures. that's gonna be really funny when you know what game we're playing uh (laughs) and of course if you want to support us uh, on patreon that's the whole reason why this podcast is still happening uh over at patreon.com slash terrible warriors where you can join in on an ongoing game that i am running through forbidden lands right now we're doing the raven's purge uh it's being done uh, uh you know month by month so you can join into a game already in session you won't have to feel like you're out of place uh, we'll slot you right into it it'll be fine and uh, that's all happening over there as well as we got our discord channel which you can find a link for on our homepage at terriblewarriors.com uh, and they uh we got people in there every day we're, we're chatting about games and movies and and uh video games and stuff it's 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 good time we're 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 We've got a lot of feelings about Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So you could join us there for that. And, uh, and of course, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Ecock. And if you're interested in playing Sweetwater or having me run any of your games, yes, I run games for the Terrible Warriors over on our Patreon channel, but I am also available as a GM for hire at justineacock.com where you can have me run a virtual game of your choice. Uh, the whole library is available on that website, but suffice it to say, if I've run it on Terrible Warriors... It's on that library. So I can run you through any of that for you if you're looking for 
something to do in this never-ending Panda Express that we find ourselves trapped in. So that's that's all I've got for now. Uh, Sean, thank you so much for hanging out with me. Thanks for having me. It was me. nice to have someone bounce these ideas off of. Oh, this was fun. Uh, that was a pleasure. Yeah, and maybe I'll, uh, I know you've already, uh, I'll just, uh, I'll, I'll flash you with the bed in black light and I'll run you through a game of Sweetwater Bank. <laughs> yeah, just flat, no just deal. use the crystal. I won't remember anything. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. I'll just forget everything. All right. Well, until next time when we all meet again and we play around our tables and roll dice together, thank you for listening to the Terrible Warriors. Be good to each other. Bye. Bye. Bye.